Welcome to season five of the Life Giver Podcast, a place for honest conversation and hope that will breathe life back into your military or first responder marriage. This is your host, Corey Weathers. I'm a military spouse, clinician, and advocate, and I'm bringing topics that I hear from the service community and counseling room to the podcast, where we can face the challenges of this lifestyle together. Welcome to the Life Giver Podcast. This is your host, Corey Weathers. Um, Season five is underway. And one of the things that we wanted to do just a little bit differently this year is introduce more resources. And um, I know that I've done this a lot with the Independent Summit. If you've been a part of the Independent Wellness Summit where we introduce resources, and I just knew we needed to get the word out a lot more of what great people are doing. And just in case it's something that you hear and say, that's something I'm needing in my life and my marriage, and we can point you in the right direction. And so I'm really excited to have Reboot with us today um, for this episode. I've been following Reboot for some time now. I've been watching them grow. They've been putting out some great stuff, some great curriculum in a great format through um, curriculum, but I think also small groups. We're going to cover some of that here soon. Um, But then they even expanded into working with first responders as well. And so I knew it was a right fit to bring um, Brian onto the podcast and just have a conversation about what they are doing and how they're seeing um, specifically the topic of trauma recovery and how that's how they're really tackling that in not just serving spouses' lives, but just in the family marriage as well. So Brian, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, we have so, so much to talk about. In fact, I had to hit record because we were already talking about really great things, and I wanted to make sure I got it into our discussion for everybody to hear today. And so, I, you know, for somebody who's not heard of Reboot, maybe we just start there for a moment and just, could, would you mind just kind of sharing, you know, your involvement in Re- Reboot, what you're doing, and maybe a basic summary of what Reboot is doing for individuals and families? Yeah, so... <clears throat> Reboot's been around since 2011. Um, it started at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, Aerosalt. And uh, actually, my involvement with Reboot started in a very non-traditional way. Uh, so I was raised as an atheist. Um, and that old saying, there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole, uh, isn't always true. Mm-hmm. And so even downrange, um, I still held on to the fact that I was an atheist. Um, and in 2010, while in Afghanistan, I was injured, uh, which resulted in uh, fracturing my neck, um, my hip, my knees, and my shoulders. Uh, and so came back home, started having all these surgeries, and uh, I had two fusions in my neck and some plates put in and had a partial hip replacement. I had a knee replacement, um, a bunch of pins and screws put in my shoulders, and, and I'm having all these things. I'm going through the traumatic brain injury clinic. And I'm doing what everybody is telling me to do to get better, but there was no getting better. And so in early 2012, I found myself in a barracks room at the Warrior Transition Battalion where I attempted to take my life. Um, Spoiler alert, I was not successful. Um, And what's really interesting is after the suicide attempt, I was walking past the building that I'd walked past on post hundreds of times. Uh, And this guy came out wearing a black T-shirt that said Reboot Combat Recovery. And uh, he asked if I was there for Reboot. And I said, no. And he said, you should be. And I kind of laughed. And 
pause there for just a second. So at the traumatic brain injury clinic, my doctor of occupational therapy was Dr. Jenny Owens. Uh, and she is the co-founder of Reboot with her husband, Evan. So she came out of the building and they both invited me to come. And I said, no, this is that God thing. And I don't have time for God. Uh, and Evan was just asked me, he said, are you sure, man? And uh, then he said the two words that would get any service member to do anything, free food. Yeah. And so, uh, <laughs> so I went in and I went in for the meal and kind of sat around and I looked. And what I realized is there was a bunch of guys very similar to me that had walked in similar paths to me. But whereas I felt hopeless and um, unrest, these guys were filled with peace and joy. Uh, and I didn't know what or how, but I knew that I wanted it. And so, you know, I went the first week, didn't think I'd go back. And then the second week, uh, I was sitting there in my barracks room and contemplating all the reasons I didn't want to go, all the reasons I didn't need to go, how I was going to fix myself, not to worry about it. And I just felt this overwhelming uh, call that I needed to go to that building uh, and I needed to go walk into that group. And so I did. And, uh, you know, eight short years later, here I am still here. And uh, I went through the group, ended up uh, giving my life to Christ and uh, started volunteering, whatever they needed. I just wanted more people to go from where I was to where I am. And so started traveling around post and sharing my story and inviting people to group. And then uh, next thing you know, Evan leaves his job in Nashville as a very successful CEO and, and takes on reboot full time because he wanted more people to experience the same type of healing that I had. And so we went from one group to three, three groups to four to almost 300 groups now in just a few short years. And, uh, so about two years ago, uh, I came on board full time with reboot to do engagement. Um, and really just, there's so many organizations and great people out there. So just to partner with them and let them know who we are and what we do and, and how we can help. Cause like you said, we, we stay in our, we stay in the area where of trauma. So, um, reboots, a peer led 12 week course that, uh, is fixated on the spiritual wounds of war. And so, you know, one of the things that, is frustrating. And I know you're a clinician and there's a, there's a lot of clinicians out there that would agree with me. One of the most frustrating things is if somebody comes into an office and says they're dealing with anxiety, uh, they take a survey, the get diagnosed with anxiety. And then the first response is medication. And I, although I do understand that there's a need for medication, I don't believe it should be the first response. And, and part of the, the issue is that we we're treating symptoms, right? Like we're trying to pluck these symptoms off these tree. And every time you try to take one off more pop up. And so what we found is when you get down to the roots of the problem and when you walk with people through those roots, through those dark times, that's when you can see true healing. So I, there's so many things that I want to respond to in your story that first of all, I'm just so thankful that you did not succeed in that suicide attempt, um, to see what you're doing now and how you're sharing your story. And, you know, who would have thought 
on that day, like if you would have fast forwarded that you sharing your story was going to bring so much hope to other people's lives that, um, that you might have that influence that's going to save another life. And, um, and that you would have that same peace and joy that you saw in someone else. And so glad that you were not successful that day. Um, and I'm so glad that you're doing what you're doing now. So that's number one. Thank Number you. two, um, I can definitely speak to the success of having peer level groups. And so what Brian means by that, if that's a new term to somebody out there, is is just that it's not necessarily a clinician or somebody that is in authority or something that's necessarily leading these small groups and leading through the curriculum. You have somebody that's just like you, that's a peer, that's a um, somebody, maybe it's another veteran that's running it, um, but it's somebody that's peer to you that is running that curriculum. And right. so it kind of levels the playing field, I think a little bit, wouldn't you say, Brian, and just Absolutely. makes everybody feel a little bit more comfortable that we're kind of going through life together as we're doing this curriculum. That's right. And one of the things that I always point to is, you know, <clears throat> military first responder in some areas, they're very similar. For example, if you could love to play paintball. You could be a semi-pro. You could be on teams. You could absolutely love paintball. But if you get to work in the morning for PT and your first sergeant or your first line supervisor or your chief comes out and says, hey, get on the bus. We're all going to go play paintball. Instantly, you don't want to go play paintball. Uh, you know, that mandatory fund, right? Like, no, I don't want to. I don't even like paintball. Like, wait a second, you play every weekend. What do you mean you don't like? Because somebody's telling you. And what we notice is by reaching, by reaching uh, peers at peer level, a lot of that is gone, right? A lot of that feeling forced or mandatory or feeling like they have to, a lot of that's gone to the point where they come in with just an open mind and a desire to change. Because as you and I both know, a lot of it sometimes is around a choice right? The choose to heal, which isn't always an easy choice. Well, and that's one of the reasons why I've been so passionate about finding competent clinicians. Um, we hear all the time, and if there's a civilian clinician that's listening to this episode, it's one of the reasons why on the Life Giver directory, we ask for um, some kind of proof that shows that you have at least experience working with serving um, couples or um, some kind of continuing education or something that shows that you at least have that first level foundational competency um, because it just makes people more comfortable when you're starting to sure. do that work. But one of the things that we're finding that I know, even as a military spouse, you know, when I first opened my doors as a clinician and made it public that I was a military spouse, I had a six month waiting list. And it wasn't necessarily because of something I was doing. It was because there was other military spouses that said, she's, she surely understands what this life is like. Right. So part of that competency, and you've experienced it on that day when you were walking <laughs> past the building, you had a peer that right. came out that said, Hey, this has worked for me. And I know right. what you're going through. And when you can do life with somebody that understands the lifestyle, it just makes it so much easier to say yes to trying something new. Well, and I agree a hundred percent. And, you know, I was reluctant to help and see reboot wasn't my first choice, right? Like, that's not like I woke up one day and said, okay, now we'll go get help. I had been to a social worker. I had been to EMDR. I had been to prolonged exposure. I had been to all these things. And one of the things that really frustrated me is my first meeting with my first social worker. Um, I'm sitting across the table from her. 
she had was very honest with the fact that she had never served and whatnot. And so we start talking, she's asking me about my story. I'm telling her about it. And then she said something that literally a switch went off in my head where instantly I didn't trust her and I didn't want to be around her because she said, when you were downrange, you felt. And the way that she said it, part of me was like, if you've never been there, how do you know? And I'm not saying that if you've never been there, you can't help somebody, but trying to tell somebody exactly how they felt when you haven't experienced what they have is dangerous. It's just dangerous. And so, and what was different, what's interesting is Evan Owens is actually a civilian. Uh, and so, and Jenny is a civilian as well, the co-founder. Um, now she had worked at the TBI, fa- uh, traumatic brain injury clinic, TBI clinic. Uh, and so she dealt with veterans, um, on a daily basis. And, but what was interesting is whenever I hear somebody say, Oh, well, a civilian can't help. Well, you know, Evan Owens started this thing called reboot and there's about 8,000 people that have gone through now that would highly disagree with what you said. But at the same time, you know, the first week I ever sat into a group, one of the first things Evan ever said is I'm not a veteran. I'm not a chaplain. I'm not a doctor. You have no reason why you have to listen to me, but you know, and so right off the bat, he set the stage. It wasn't like a, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, it wasn't sorry. trying to be a peer. It was being very honest and upfront. That's and right. I think this is my guess here is that maybe one of the things that he did right is he leveraged some level of curiosity, right? Yeah, not, not in a voyeurist kind of way, curiosity, but a curiosity of saying, it's okay that I don't have to fully understand and have lived through what you lived through, but his love and his compassion towards you and curiosity towards wanting That's to right. do, walk alongside to a path of healing was what made you feel more comfortable because it was authentic. That's right. And it was, and, and, and in some ways it was intriguing to me, mm-hmm. you know, like I, the first, and I've told Evan this, so I don't feel bad saying this on a podcast. The first week that I was there, part of me was sitting there thinking like, what's the motive here? Like, mm. why is he really helping? You know, because at the same time, as my life had as I stated with my life, I, I don't have a faith background and, and that wasn't a part of my life. So generally when somebody was nice, they needed something or wanted something. And so there was a part of me that definitely came off as, you know, wait a second, you know, what's his ulterior motive here? Um, and what was mind blowing was he didn't have one. He, mm. he, he genuinely just wanted, you know, through the stories his wife had told him and through people that he had met, around his house, he had just realized that there was a lot going on in the veteran and active duty military community that people weren't addressing. And -hmm. all he wanted to do was help people regain that lifestyle or regain that life back. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I I definitely think transparency and genuineness is a huge reason why uh, we've gotten to where we have. So there might be somebody listening right now that's that's saying, okay, um, so this works for him, this worked for Brian, and and obviously some other people, um, they've heard that it's peer level run, um, small groups, and there's a curriculum. Maybe share with some people about the curriculum itself. Like what could talk, lead somebody through, what would they expect from getting involved with Reboot? What is this curriculum that you're talking about? How does it work? So, you know, one of the things that we say all the time is Reboot can 
is kind of designed to be a hard 12 weeks, but it's a worth it 12 weeks. Um, and so the first few weeks are really just fundamental, right? So it's things like, do we have a soul? Uh, if we have a soul, can it be injured? If it can be injured, who can feel it or who can heal it? In the first three weeks, in a nutshell, bottom line, as basic as can be, that's kind of it. Um, and so the first week, we're talking about things like, <clears throat> do we have a soul? And what's interesting is there's 4,507, that's as of a couple months ago, so who knows what it is now, religions in this world. 4,507. And almost every one of them agree on one thing and one thing only. And that's that a human being is consisted of a mind, a body, and a soul. So then as we move into the next week, if we believe that that's true, and I mean, it, it's deeper than that, clearly. It's, a, it's an hour long. That's, that was 30 seconds. That'd be a really <laughs> short week. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but if we believe that that's true, then week two, we start to talk about, okay, well, can your soul be injured? Well, mm. <clears throat> if a human being is a mind and a body and a soul, if I go to Afghanistan and I take a round in the face, nobody would question a physical wound. Right. Nobody would question a mental wound that's tied to that physical wound. Mm -hmm. But what about a spiritual wound? Right? Like <clears throat> anxiety, depression, isolation, substance abuse, those all come from somewhere. And, and generally, after trauma, they come rather quickly. Because when we're all created, you know, we, there's, there's God-given uh, characteristics that we all have. Forgiveness, love, joy, wisdom, um, identity. And what happens is through trauma and through life experience, so over time, those characteristics are altered. And what happens is, is instead of being somebody of identity, especially in a military or first responder role, our identity goes from who we are mm. to what we do. So in other words, especially in the mm. military, it's all on our chest, right? We got all these badges. We got, all, we got the tower of power. We've got our rank. We've got this. Mm. And even when you go home or to visit someplace, think about how you're introduced. Very seldomly are you introduced as, hey, this is Brian. It's, hey, this is mm -hmm. that soldier I told you about. Or they would introduce my mm -hmm. wife like, oh, this is Jen. She's married. Her husband's in mm -hmm. Afghanistan. She's married to a soldier. As that happens and as that continues, your identity mm -hmm. really becomes what you do. Your identity becomes those mm -hmm. instead of who you are. And so even with forgiveness, right? Like, oh, there's a whole chapter on forgiveness for a reason. But we talk about things like guilt, grief, forgiveness, um, uh, identity is a big one that we, we spend some time on. And, and it kind of all leads to this week 12 graduation, right? And the graduation is not about reboot and it's not about the mm -hmm. leaders. It's all about the participants, right? Because what's so crazy is after 12 weeks, are you completely healed from PTSD and never going to experience anything again? Maybe. But mm -hmm. we celebrate progress, not perfection. We celebrate the fact that, you know, <clears throat> for example, a couple of weeks ago, I took my wife to a concert. Uh, now, yes, I had to get up and walk out quite a few times and, and just kind of go out to the hallway, catch my breath, look around and then go back in. But I was there. And five years ago, I would not have been there. And so that's progress, right? So we celebrate that progress. What's next as well, right? Like, okay, great. I did this 12 week course. I feel 
I don't know if better is the right word, but I feel like I'm equipped now with the tools to handle the day to day. I feel like now, you know, when, when things aren't feeling okay, I know, I know how to get myself out of the funk or I have more importantly, I have a community of people that will come along beside me uh, as I'm stumbling, but what's next. And, and so it's uh and with first responders, it's very similar. The curriculum is different because, you know, with military, it's generally, generally there's a few traumatic events in a military members experiences that, that have them dealing with trauma. Whereas with first responders, it's much more cumulative. It's much more, you know, day to day. I'm not familiar with first responders because I, I wasn't one. Um, and the first time I led a group with first responders, uh, I asked one of them if they could just uh, tell me about one of their days, just a day, an average day. And as he started speaking, you know, going from, uh, I, he was EM, he was EMS. And so he talked about going from a car accident to an overdose, to another car accident, to, you know, and he's just describing this. And this is one day. And he was, a, he, he was EMS for 23 years. And so when you, when you put that into perspective, it's like, yeah, every day may not be traumatic, but there are traumatic things almost every day. And so dealing with that cumulative trauma that, that, uh, just kind of builds up. And so, um, so I love the fact that you guys are celebrating that progress because, you know, there's so many people listening that it's an amazing feat for you to go to one, you know, first class or first group, if you will. Right. And so for somebody it's a, it's the progress of, I just did something really difficult and I did it consistently for 12 weeks. Right. And I love the fact that you also said you may not necessarily, it's not exactly about feeling better and feeling fixed because you know, the, the longer we live this life, especially this military first responder life, the more I'm convinced that, you know, we're just all broken and it's not about just getting to a place where we're just all fixed, that we were never guaranteed a life where we were just going to be fixed and everything was going to be great. I think it's more about, you know, when my, I, I share in the book that I wrote when my husband came back, that was one of his questions. Once that all that started to really come out and he started wrestling through that reintegration and how he had changed during his deployment, that was one of his questions of, am I broken? And it really took me a while to go, you know, first of all, I don't see you as broken. We, we experienced some really tough things in life and maybe we're both broken and it's more about doing this life together, broken and figuring out that that's more what marriage is about in the first place. I find even with marriages who go through something really traumatic together, such as something like infidelity or betrayal, um, those marriages, when the couple actually decide that they're both going to work on things together and they're all in working on it together, their marriage ends up being even stronger. Now, they wouldn't wish that they could go back and go through that again, right? But there's something about the, the bubble being burst that you know, marriage is hard and they see themselves as, um, 
flawed human beings, two flawed human beings who every day have the ability to mess up every day, right? And that forgiveness means something different and grace means something different and patience means something different. And so those marriages actually do even better. They have a more intimate relationship, surprisingly, because they see each other as flawed human beings instead of waiting for each other to be perfect and then being disappointed when they're perfect. And so I love the fact that you guys are able to just celebrate the progress of being able to acknowledge that we need community, we need support, we need help doing this life that's really hard. These, um, those that have gone through something traumatic have especially experienced something really um, that the human brain really wasn't built to have to experience again and again, just like you were talking about the cumulative effect of the first responders. Your brain isn't meant to, your soul isn't meant to go through something like that all the time and not struggle with it because you guys are, are take, I, this sounds like a terrible way to say it, but you're taking, I want, you're taking more than one for the team, right? But you're really being exposed to these things so that civilians don't have to. That's the part of the protecting and defending and, um, and all of that. And so you should have that support and help of other people to get through it and heal your soul through it. So I think it's fantastic what you guys are doing with the curriculum and with the community of support around you. Um, you know, I would love for you to share a little bit more about what you're seeing from others that are going through it. You've had a chance to even lead a first responder group, you said. So what is, um, I think that's some of the most amazing stories of all of this is hearing how it's changing lives. And there might be somebody listening that might be a little bit skeptical, maybe like you were on that first day of, you know, how much can this really do this soul care thing, right? Like, um, because somebody out there is feeling like it's, it is their brain. It is their thoughts that are the problem or that's where they feel broken and it's not so much their soul. So share with somebody about some of what you've seen through other people's stories as well. Yeah. One of the, you know, I've been leading a group now since uh, roughly 2013 uh, at Fort Campbell. And uh, yeah, man, I don't even know where to start. There's so many great stories. Uh, one that comes in particular, yeah. I'm not going to say their names, of course, uh, for confidentiality, but, um, you know, this guy came into our group and week one, one of the things we like to do is ask people what brought them here, right? Just to get them to start thinking about it. Cause you never know what somebody's going to say or why they're there And this guy. And what we presumed was his wife was sitting next to him and he's like, I'm here. Cause she told me I, w- I had to be. Oh, okay, great. So then we asked her, well, what brings you here? And she said, well, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my ex-husband from not just marriage, but now his life. And so he agreed to come here. So I decided to come to support him through this. And, you know, they went through the 12 weeks and it was just, it was hard. You know, there were weeks, uh, everybody loves the reboot leader, but there's some weeks that everybody absolutely hates the reboot leader. Um, because it's tough and we don't we don't sugarcoat it and we don't talk about easy topics we talk about hard stuff and we don't run from it like we face it head on but we don't face it head on individually we face it head on as a group and so instead of you standing there against something you know you're you're standing there with a whole group of people that are locked arms and 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 committed to going through this with you you know but being the leader you know not everybody always likes to be challenged 
uh, especially when mm-hmm. it really gets tough. And so, um, and so we had some great conversations. We had some conversations where he let me know what he thought of me uh, at the time. And, you know, as a, as a leader, you don't take that personal because you know that, you know, that something's working, something is being, something's being transformed, something's working and it's just really hard. And so it's great. Uh, well, anyway, they graduate and at graduation, he opens up and one of the last weeks before graduation is share your story. And it's not for us, it's for you. Right. Um, and so he had wrote out his story and he had shared it with us and he got up at graduation and talked about everything he's seen in his life, how he's able to talk to his kids now without just yelling and screaming and treating them like soldiers, uh, how he's able to communicate with his ex-wife and, um, how he feels like he's at peace for the first time in 30 years. And this guy wasn't just, I mean, he was a, he was a, a high-ranking non-commissioned officer. So uh, he had been in for a long time and he had been on a lot of deployments. Well, what was really cool is two weeks after graduation, I get a picture texted to me. Mm. They had gotten remarried in their oh, regal wow. graduation shirts. Uh, and now, yeah. And now they're, you know, they're still, this has probably been four years now and they're still together. They're doing great. They're leading a reboot in their community mm-hmm. now. Um, they moved on from Fort Campbell, which was sad, but it's great too. Cause you know, they're still involved and, you know, I literally could go through a Rolodex in my head of just all these stories of redemption and all these stories of reconciliation that have taken place and being able to see it happen to watch somebody walk into a room hopeless and watch them 12 weeks later, fill of hope and joy and peace. Like there's nothing better. And, you know, people don't read lead reboot because they're looking for a notch in their belt. They lead reboot because watching somebody go from where they once were to where they are now is the greatest thing that you can do on this, on this planet. And, uh, when you watch, you know, we had a guy, um, that came to our group and, he had been out for five years or so uh, by the time he came to our group and we were the first group he'd ever gone to. And through the 12 weeks, we found out that he didn't really leave his apartment except for to go to um, the VA. He'd go to medical appointments and then he went home. Uh, Somebody did a shopping for him. Somebody did everything for him. He didn't like to leave his house and he never left without his service dog. Um, He even brought a service dog to group. And, um, so after graduation, you know, there's a, there's a break before the next group starts. And some of us still try to get together or, you know, we may do a community day where a bunch of the graduates all get together at a park or something and the families will play. Uh, and we did one of those and he showed up out of his house without a service dog. Uh, and he is now working full time. Uh, he's in school as well. And like watching him go from not talking or seeing or speaking to anybody. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of guys that don't talk the first few weeks. And when I say don't talk, um, they'll grunt even, right? Like you'll ask them a question of this kind of, right? Like telling you like, Hey, I don't want to talk to you. Okay, cool. Well, it went to a whole nother level. And this guy's now a very good friend of mine. And I share the story all the time. So he would not get mad at me for sharing it. He went to a whole nother level. Not only did he grunt at me, 
but he grunted at me, then looked at his wife, who then interpreted the grunt to wow, answer me. Yeah. Um, so I asked him his name. I, he was just, him and his wife were sitting over in the corner. I just kind of walked over, said, "Hey, I'm Brian. What's your name?" He grunted, looked at her, and she said, "Oh, his name is this." And I went, "Oh, okay. Where are you from?" And he grunted, looks at her. She looks mm. at me. He's from Michigan. I said, "Oh, wow. Me too. Originally, what part?" He grunts. She tells me. I said, "Oh man, we played. We played you guys in football. What year did you graduate?" He grunts. She tells me. And I walked away going, what just happened? Well, now, uh, and he was a guy that didn't leave his house. Uh, he was a combat medic for many years. Um, he is, they just bought, they, he just bought his first house. Uh, he is leading another um, group, not Reboot, but leading another group. He started his own organization to help people. And he's in college for that's time. incredible. Uh, at a yeah, at an and like and at a brick and mortar school. Like he goes to class and sits with other people. And so um, you know, and there's there's tons of these stories. And this is just one group. So then when you magnify the fact that these are happening all over the country, I mean, these stories are just magnified. I think one of the coolest stories on the first responder that and I'm probably going to mess up the story. I may not get it exactly accurate. And I apologize for that up front. But um, there was a guy who uh, was making some really bad decisions, doing some really bad things. And um, a police officer that came to our group uh, ended up having to take his life. Uh, not his own, but the the bad guy, quote unquote. Um, and it haunted him very badly. And part of our group of forgiveness is uh, we talk about certain people that we need to forgive or that we need to ask to forgive us. And this guy mm. wrote down the family of them. Well, he took it one whole step further. The next day, he actually found the family, met with them and asked for forgiveness. And then a whole bunch came out about the guy and he had he was actually on his way mm. to take his wife's life when the police officer intervened. And so like all this stuff comes, but now, you know, he knows the they meet regularly for coffee with the wife and the son of this guy. And this beautiful relationship has formed all from it's forgiveness. Remarkable, right? Like had he not um, taken that step he would not have known the full story and he would have lived with a half a story. Right. And that's what forgiveness does, I think. And that's what restoration does is it gives you a much bigger paradigm to work from that. It's not just about that one traumatic experience. It's who you are, who God sees you to be beyond just that traumatic experience or in forgiveness and restoration with these relationships to be able to, um, to see, how that impacted their life and that there, there might be people out there that don't necessarily um, see you the way that maybe you're seeing yourself and you're being plagued by a lie. That's not even true until you go through this kind of process. And so, you know, this is a faith-based organization. You guys are very upfront with that. Um, You, you don't necessarily heal souls, right. By not going to the creator of that soul. 
so share share with everybody a little bit more about Reboot and be, it being a faith-based organization and why do you feel like these souls are actually being healed or how, I guess? Yeah, um, great question. Um, and so it all starts with like a simple, a simple uh, uh, stat that I saw recently. And I did a little bit of research enough to know that it was true. And then I didn't keep researching it, so I can't tell you exactly who it was. But if you Google it, it does come up. Uh, there was a study done. You have a you have a better chance of hitting the lottery seven times in your lifetime than you do of having life in the first place. Wow! Like, let that sink in for a second. So then something happens, and people believe that we're here by accident right? It's clear that you have a purpose. And, and one of the things that for me, uh, that I've noticed in our groups is, you know, when you see a guy that's gone through different groups and has gone through different things and has tried different things and nothing has really helped them, nothing has gotten them. And then they start addressing their soul. They give it over to the person who created their soul and they put their identity, not in what they, not what other people think, but what he says. I mean, it's interesting. After I got injured, and I'm not alone on this, I'm just speaking from me for a minute. When I got injured, the people around me kept pointing at everything that I couldn't do. Right? Like after I got injured, it was you'll never be, you'll never be the same. Don't try to be. Your best days are behind you. Uh, you'll never be the man you once were, but it's okay. There's a better version of you. You just have to find it. You know, things like this. Well. Man, when you go from hearing that narrative all the time to hearing or to reading that the, the same person that created the most beautiful thing on earth that created me so that I was perfectly made in his image, that there's a king in me, right? That before I was even born, he knew how many hairs were on the top of my head. Now, he cheated for me, but for some of y'all, that's a big thing. Uh, for the listeners that can't see me, I am bald. Like, not balding, I am bald, bald. Um, but when you hear, like, and then when you think about what he did for you, right? When you think about the fact that knowing that I was going to make all the mistakes, make all the decisions, that I was going to sin, that I was going to do these things, he still chose to bear the burden of that sin. Man, how can you not, like, I don't know how you can't just step aside and go, wow. You know, um, and when you see somebody, when you watch somebody for an extended period of time that won't leave their house, that won't do these things, that won't, um, that doesn't, you know, one phrase that almost every military or first responder spouse that I've ever talked to understands is, I feel like I'm on eggshells. I never know what's going what's gonna to set, set them off. You know, it's amazing the very people that defend this nation, uh, both foreign and domestic, that make it such an amazing place to live, work, and play are the same people that can sit in a chair for hours with the TV on and not have a clue what they were watching. Mm. Uh, and so when you see somebody go from that to leading in their community, more importantly, leading in their family, to restoring that relationship with their children, restoring that relationship with their spouse, to, to be what they were intended to be to that family, 
there's no denying to me that that is a soul that has been healed. There's no denying to me that that is, um, but one of the other problems is pride, right? We're just going to, we're just going to go. None of this is in my notes that I was going to talk about, but we're just going to go real, real here. Yeah, Uh, please. This is, by the way, the tagline for this podcast is honest conversation. So go there. Oh, you should not have told me that. Uh, If our executive director is listening right now, he's literally grabbing his forehead going, here we go. Um, Here we go. Let's go there. Pride, right? Pride has always been a downfall, right? Especially when it comes to the protectors. Why? Because we don't need anybody else. We can do this all on our own. Nobody else needs to tell me anything. Nobody else needs to help me. I got this. We watched movies like Rambo and Terminator, and they could do everything on their own. If they can do it on their own, so can I false because healing requires humility healing requires somebody's help right like if right now it'd be tragic but if my ceiling were to fall and i were to get a nasty gash down the right my shoulder i have to make the decision to go to the hospital i have to humble myself enough to say i can't fix this and i have to walk into a hospital hoping that they can fix it with our soul it's the same way right because what happens is is we find ourselves in this web of insanity where we keep doing the same thing over and over again expecting a different result oh well uh i don't need help i just need to drink myself to be able to sleep once i'm drunk enough and i can sleep nothing will bother me until you wake up right oh i don't i don't need help if i can just get on my motorcycle and i can just go a buck 20 and get that adrenaline going everything will be calm oh if i can just sit down and play call of duty for six hours with my friends everything will be fine unfortunately none of those is doing anything except for distracting you from what you're supposed to do none none of those are helpful short term do some of them make you feel better maybe for a couple minutes right But then it all comes back. And when it comes back, the burden's heavier. The weight is more. The pain is more severe. It's realer. It's tougher. Because at the same time, when you do those things, you know you're putting something else to the side. And there's the compounding consequences of delaying that too. When family or your marriage is needing you to get off call of duty or not put your life in jeopardy by going that fast or whatever. So now you're compounding on the consequences too. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so all these things just continue, continue to build and continue to torment and torture. When in reality, it's as simple as acknowledging, I can't do this on my own and I need help. Right? Like, uh, every Friday I go to mental health at the VA and I'm very vocal about it. And I tell everybody about it. And they're like, Brian, what are you doing? You've been in reboot for eight years now you lead people look to you as a as leading and you're absolutely right they do and that's why i go to mental health because i want people to know that it is 150 percent okay to not be okay it is 150 percent okay to be able to say i just need some help mm-hmm. you know a lot of times when people find out that we're faith-based they think we run from science or we take people out into a field and around a fire and sing kumbaya and that's how we expect to heal we don't run from science some of our best uh referral partners 
our clinicians because we partner with science, right? The, if I go back to the mind, the body, and the soul, you have to be addressing all three for real restoration to happen, right? If I put all my effort and all my energy into my body, that means that I am not paying any attention to the mind or the soul. How can I be complete if I'm only focusing on 33% of me? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, partnering with science, partnering with people that do that work on the body in the mind and, and really watching somebody put added effort into all three, that's when you see complete restoration. That's when you see people go from, again, hopeless to hope, from fearful to joy, from anxiety and depression to peace. Mm. And, and that's the goal. You know, when you just said, you know, why focus on only 33% of yourself, right? Um, you know, I think sometimes people hear something about a faith-based program or whatever, and they think that all you're going to focus on is that one soul piece, right? That's what they would expect when you go to church and that they're going to ignore right. the rest of you, right? And they're, you know, because I'll be honest, I get all the time horror stories of people going to mental health or going to counselors. And and I've even had some that have gone and, and the answer from that clinic clinician, that faith-based clinician was, we'll just pray about it more and you'll feel better. You know, and that's, I mean, it just rips me up inside when I hear some of those um, stories and that's where we have to extend grace and go, everybody's doing the best they can. Right. And sometimes we just have to go a little bit longer and give that relationship long enough time to catch up, to be able to address all three areas of your life. Maybe that's where they started. And maybe sometimes prayer is a good thing to start doing now, right. In the process of working on the other things too. So I think it's grace across the board, but I think sometimes people expect these faith-based organizations, maybe they're even assuming that Reboot was only going to focus on just the faith side of things when what you're actually saying is we can actually address all three and the God that created all three can be the God that heals all three. That's right. And, and I think one of the other, so it's really funny that you just said exactly how you said it uh, made me, the only reason I laughed and I apologize to your viewers that they had to listen to my laugh as you were speaking. So. I have a lot of physical ailments. Uh, even though I'm only 33, my wife always jokes that I'm 70 on the inside. Uh, and we were at church and I was just having, who knows what I did. I probably sneezed. I don't know, but I had hurt my back. And uh, so I was gingerly moving around church and somebody came up and said, oh man, have you prayed about it? And I literally looked at him and in my mind, what I wanted to say is, oh, you know, eight years of following Christ, everything he's done for me. I woke up this morning in terrible pain. No, you know, I never once thought to pray about it. Of course mm-hmm. I prayed about it, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I think that sometimes, right, as a, as a Christian, when we don't know what to say, we go back mm-hmm. to the only thing we can say, mm-hmm. right? And so, and, but as somebody that's struggling, that's maybe reaching out for help, when you don't know what to say, sometimes you can do more damage Mm-hmm. by what you say. In other words, if somebody reaches out to one of your listeners who maybe they just go to church and for some reason they feel drawn to that person and they're struggling and they call them and say, Hey, I'm really struggling. And I don't know what to do. And their whole response is, have you prayed about it? Mm-hmm. What do you think the likelihood that they're going to reach out to that person is again? I'm seeing not, not good, not well. Yeah, absolutely. And so and that's one of the other things that we've, we've done on our website and in some of the other content that we've released on our blogs and whatnot is 
you know, how do we as Christians address the mental health crisis in America? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. and we talk about things not to say, right? Mm-hmm. Like you would think by 2020, we wouldn't have to tell church leaders or mm-hmm. whatnot, hey, know the difference between thou shall not kill and thou shall not murder. That's mm-hmm. going to be very important, right? And especially in military towns, when that when that is that point isn't made, that doesn't bring people to the church. That doesn't bring people to the one place they should go, right? Like I heard somebody say once that church isn't a place of or a perfect place. It's the perfect place for broken people, right? When somebody is struggling and they reach out, like you know, read up. Just read a couple blogs, watch. There's tons of great things on YouTube and not just Reboot. I mean, of course, I've got to say Reboot is great, but mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's other stuff out there too where, you know, know when these people are asking questions, know how to respond. That's not going to drive them away from you, the church, or the one person that can actually heal them. And that's why I think Reboot is actually so effective because it goes back to that peer run group dynamic setup. Um, Not that you guys don't have great curriculum, like you said, grounded in research and you have great facilitators and you have um, really outstanding um, programming that's effective, but I think that that's making more people more comfortable to walk in is that it's a peer level thing so that they may not have gone through the same exact trauma that you went through, but they definitely um, maybe have some better things that they can say, or you can trust them from the beginning, you know, so that we can all learn together how to be more graceful with each other. And I, I think that your message is also really good and really strong to those out there who maybe don't know what to say. Um, and sure. you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put spouses here in this too, because I know we're speaking pretty heavily to the serving spouse here. Um, because you know, there's a lot of supporting spouses out there who have trauma in their lives and in their background oh, too. And you know, you see that every, absolutely. every day. Absolutely. Um, but, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, just because sometimes I think supporting spouses, we don't um, know how to even respond to our spouse who's come home with that trauma ourselves, that we are also finding ourselves without words or the right words. And that there's a level of grace that we need to learn to be able to give to everybody. And that it is okay if you find yourself on the receiving end of um, a story or hearing the trauma, um, whether you are the spouse, let's say the wife, if I'm being stereotypical, the spouse, or whether you're a pastor or whether you're a civilian clinician or just, or even if you're a peer, like you're another veteran, but you just didn't serve in that same MOS or in that same country or have the same kind of trauma. I think we can kind of level the playing field here and some, and say, it's okay to say, I don't even know what to say other than I'm so sorry that you've gone through that, but I will walk alongside you and I will do this with you, but I don't know if I have the answer and I'm sorry that your back is hurting today. Or even just a thank you. Yeah. Right. right? And when I say thank you, and when I say thank you, I want to be very clear. I'm not saying thank you for your service, right? But just sometimes being genuine in, wow, thank you for trusting me to tell me this. Yes. And then, and then even just asking, is there anything that I can do? Yeah. Right. Because 90% of the time they're going to say, well, I don't think there is anything you can do. And then that sets it up perfectly for, well, man, I'm definitely going to keep it in prayer. Can I pray with you now? And if I hear of anything, you know, and then just check up on them, just check up on them. In 2020, it is way too easy to go. You good, bro. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's a simple text that takes three seconds for you to do. And sometimes that's, 
That's all somebody wants to know. And this is not veteran specific. This is not first responder. This is people. Mm-hmm. They just want to, they just want to know that somebody cares. They just want to know that somebody out there notices. Yeah. Um, and I think that one of the, one of the mistakes that we often make is, you know, we get so caught up in our own stuff that somebody trusts us with something and we just kind of put it to the side. And that's, the, that's one of the other problems that we have with a lot of these veterans is, you know, in their mind, their problems are so big and they've been, they've been running around these problems and they've been focused so much on these problems that it's like you focusing on me right now. You can't see it because there's something in the way. When in actuality, if, if we step back and look at our problems and we look at the perception of our problems, we find out that the, the problem is really only this big. But it consumes us because it's all we think about. Um, and so, yeah, I think that there's a there's a ton of great resources out there. I mean, we've just recently seen an influx of Vietnam veterans coming to to our groups around the country as well. And what's so beautiful about that is when you ask them, like, so what drew you here? The answer we hear a lot is, you know, I saw this this generation of veteran reaching out for help. And I decided that it was finally time for Mm. me to reach out for help. And so what's interesting is we're going to do a quick history lesson too. Uh, What's really interesting is in 2001, when the first troops were coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan, right? There were all these people lined up in Bangor, Maine to welcome them home. A lot of people don't know this. Those were Vietnam veterans and family of Vietnam veterans. And in, uh, there was an article done with one of them where they were asked, like, so what do you, I mean, these guys would show up at three in the morning to welcome a plane home. They'd go home and there'd be another plane coming in at six in the morning and they'd be back. Right. Mm-hmm. So somebody asked them, like, why do you continue to do this? And they said, we never want anybody to go through what we went through. And so what's so beautiful about this is because of the Vietnam veteran, the rest of society really took hold. Right. And today's service members were looked at in the complete opposite light of Vietnam. And now seeing Vietnam veterans reaching out to these resources and asking for help because of the modern veteran doing so, it's literally just a continued cycle of veterans helping veterans. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Yeah. And so, and I think that that's something. As today's, or not today's, as veterans are realizing that they don't have to fall into this victim, uh, this victim persona that society's painting, and they realize that we're victors, regardless of what happened, regardless of what, we're not victims. Uh, and as we continue to, to cement our, ourselves as a culture that we're not victims, we are victors, and we continue to help each other, that's when we're going to see these number, these terrible statistics actually take, take a a hit. Um, I mean, the suicide rate among veterans is way too high. Um, and there's just, there's all these negative, negative stigma, divorce rate. I mean, regardless of what it is and they act like awareness is the answer, right? Last year, the government Mm. spent billions of dollars on awareness for veteran, uh, suicide. Billions with a B on awareness. Well, I'm not the smartest guy, but if I get on Facebook, I know that there's a problem with veteran suicide. It's everywhere. If I watch TV, there's a commercial. I know it, right? 
So this year, they just the VA just concluded their study, and the suicide rate went up. It went up. So here they are. They spent billions of dollars on awareness. They said awareness of the problem would be the solution. So they pumped all these billions in. Now, nobody can convince me they don't know it's an issue because it's literally everywhere, and the number went up. So that tells me it's not time for awareness. It's time for action. And that action isn't going to start in Washington. It's not going to start in, it's going to start with people like you and your podcast and people like Reboot and people like all these other organizations that are out there saying, you know, I'm not going to point you come with me though. Right. Like, and it goes back to that old, there's a picture. uh, I still say I said it before the picture was made, but whatever, I'll give the picture credit where there's a guy in a hole and it says that his first aunt walks by and looks down and sees him in the hole and says, what are you doing in the hole? Get out of the hole. You got to go to work. So, so then he walks off and then the company commander comes by and says, Oh, you're in a hole. Get out of the hole. Well, then one of his buddies comes by and says, Oh man, you're in a hole. And instead of telling him to get out of the hole or that he's in a hole, he gets climbs down in the hole. And he says, man, this doesn't look anything like the one I crawled out of, but I've been out of one of these before. Let's, let's walk together. And that's what reboot does in a nutshell. We understand that everybody's life experience is different. Your experience in combat is different. Your experience, all these things are different. You walking out of the hole that you're in may not look like the same one that I walked out of, but I know that I can walk. I know that somebody grabbed me and helped me out of the hole, and I want to do the same for you. There's nothing else entitled. I'm not, there's no ulterior motive. I just want you to be the best version of you that you can be for yourself, for your family, and and for the community. Brian, I don't know if you could have summed that up better than that. Um, I have one more question for you. We are going to make sure that we put all the links to Reboot Recovery, all the websites and anything else that you would like to have in the show notes that people can find you um, and find what you guys are doing, um, as well as how they can sign up um, and participate for sure. So we will make sure that that's all available. Um, I think to close, Brian, I would love to ask you, you know, when you started this um, conversation, you talked about how you started off as an atheist and you um, almost took your life. And I would love to ask you, you kind of hinted at this, but I'm just going to give you a chance to expand on it. How, how is your life different today because of the love that people showed you when you needed it the most? I hate to answer a question with a question, but how is it not? Mm. Um, you know, I didn't have a relationship with my kids. Uh, I had basically blown my relationship with my wife. Um, and now we're leading together, right? Like, and not just in the home, but in church, in the community. Um, I'm not angry, which for those that knew me the last couple of years, doesn't seem like a big thing. But if you ask somebody that knew me 15 years ago, that's, that's pretty huge. Um, Mm. I don't worry as much, right? Because I know that it doesn't do me any good. When you realize everything that was done for you, right? Like, I, I can forgive now, which I had never done. I was a grudge holder. You know, I carried around a little notebook, kind of looked like this uh, mm. in my pocket. And every time somebody did me wrong, I pulled out a pen and I put a little tally next to their name and I put it back in my pocket. Like, ha, I got you. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. But one of these days, I have you. Mm-hmm. And then I realized this notebook doesn't do anything for anybody. Mm-hmm. All it does is hurt me because... When somebody offends me, chances are they don't even know they offended me. Mm. So here I am waking up mad, angry, bitter, 
I see that person and it grows from angry to hatred, hatred to, you know, just continues to, to grow into a rage. Meanwhile, they're living their best life, not even knowing that, that they had any effect on me. So, and guess what that does? That makes me madder. It makes me more angry because here I am so mad. You offended me. You should know. And they're just living their best life. Right. And so I realized that for, you know, if I write down every sin I've ever committed in a notebook knowingly, first off, I'm going to need a few more hundred notebooks. Second mm -hmm. off, when I realize that I've already been forgiven of all of that, all of it, how dare I hold on to unforgiveness to somebody else because they said something I didn't like? You know, when you realize that forgiveness runs through you and to others, it doesn't stop at you. It changes the way you see the world. You know, mm -hmm. knowing that, you know, one of the hardest lessons I ever learned in Reboot was, do you know that God has never shot an RPG? He's never in place an IED. He's never shot an AK-47. God never does any of that. Sin does, right? Mm -hmm. So not only... Not only was I angry, but I was angry at the wrong person. I was so mad at this God. I was so mad at the fact that we lost so many people on deployment that we came home and even more took their own life. I was so mad at this, this fictional God. And if there was a God, how could he allow all this to happen? But I didn't realize that it wasn't God I was mad at. In fact, it was sin that I was mad at. Um, and I think for me, that was the biggest lesson that I've ever learned in Reboot was that if I'm going to be mad at somebody, at least be mad at the right thing. Mm. Nobody can listen to your story. Like you said before, nobody can listen to even your story um, and not think that, that it's got to be something more than what Brian's capable of doing um, because it's not a human thing, right? It's not humans don't the way that you were handling it before was the human way, right? And there's something about having an encounter with God um, and then add to that an encounter with God through others and their love for you. Um, that again, comes from their creator that just changes a person. And um, I'm just so thankful for what God is doing through Reboot, what he's doing through you um, and how he is magnifying that throughout, throughout the country. Um, and I'm thankful that you gave me some time today and that you were honest in your story um, because there's somebody listening that's going to really hear something in your story and it's going to really impact them in a big way. And so thank you for all of that today and for being vulnerable and sharing all of it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Life Giver podcast. If you're enjoying these episodes, please share the podcast with other service couples that may benefit from the show. If you're feeling especially grateful, head on over to patreon.com forward slash life giver or find the link in today's show notes where for just a couple of dollars, you can help breathe life into more service families. If you'd like more information about me or Life Giver, head on over to coreyweathers.com or life-giver.org.